offering our most loving pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet. Dear listeners, we welcome you to this week's episode of Afternoon Satsang. This is Prem and Arvind from Team Radio Sai. We are here to continue the Ramakatha Raswaini. The story of the Ramayana is beautifully penned by Swami and after over one and a half years, I think close to two years journey, we have come to the last part of the Ramakatha Raswaini. We will be concluding it by Swami's grace today. But before talking about the conclusion, let's begin as always by chanting the most sweet and necklace name of Lord Sri Rama. On the other side of it, don't go away, we are going to wrap this entire series of Ramakatha Raswaini in today's discussion. Sri Rama Rama Rame 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 Manurame Sahasranama Tatulyam Ramanama Varanane Sairam, dear listeners, to quickly recap what happened last week in this Ramkata Rasavahini fortnight, Rama decides to send Sita to the forest after sending the actual Sita back to her abode in Vaikunta. The Maya Sita is sent to the forest and she is found by Valmiki and Valmiki takes her to the ashram and that is where she starts living. Mother Sita is pregnant at this point in time and she is bearing twins. We shall come to know later that these twins are named as Lava and Kusha. Apart from that, when the whole kingdom of Ayodhya is in gloom because Mother Sita is not present in order to revive the spirits and in order to bring goodness all around, Rama decides to perform the Ashwamedha Yagna and for that he takes the blessings of Sage Vashishta. Once that is done, all kings and rulers from all across the lands have been invited. The invitees include King Janaka, the father of Mother Sita. He comes and he is given a special welcome, a special palace on the riverfront. The wonderful thing is Janaka in his profound wisdom. He does not ask anything about Sita. He has complete surrender to the Lord because of his wisdom and knowledge and he too participates, he too is enthusiastic about the upcoming yagna. All the preparations are done by the brothers Bharata especially and it is now the day before the yagna and with less than 24 hours to go, the preceptor Vasishta, he comes to Rama with one small glitch in the whole preparation. He says that any yagna that is done is always done by the person alongside his wife. His wife has to be there alongside him. And so he says, O Rama, if you are the one who is performing the yagna, 
it can't be done without sita by your side so i think this is the time that you should get sita back to the kingdom and then only can the yagna be performed when he tells this to rama rama is in a kind of a dilemma because he says that rama is a person who can't go against what he has taken up as a vow it was this kind of resolve that made even rama go to the forest in spite of his own father dasharatha again requesting him to come back and not go on exile so now rama says that i will not be able to get sita he tells he tells actually two things he says i will not be able to get sita back because it's like going against my vow second thing is just for the sake of this yagna i am not ready to marry for a second time so it looks like lord rama is simply um, made it even more complex now with no solution in sight but at precisely that time rama himself gives the solution right and uh, in fact that is a time when all of these people say that there is no other way i mean if you want to do the yagna you have to bring sita back but then rama himself gives this give himself gives this suggestion that a statue of sita be made entirely in gold you know in in a span of a day that's what he says and and rama tells that according to scriptures it is permitted to place a statue of gold of a person in the place of that person itself when that person is not able to participate and all of them are stunned by the suggestion because it is indeed told in the scriptures that this is an option available so none of them are able to uh, you know debate this point with rama so they all consent and they're all thrilled with you know rama's authority over the scriptures also and that's how they you know go on to make that statue of mother sita in fact i'm reminded of something which uh, one of our teachers had told us in our uh, ramayana classes which we used to have in the university mm. at sanjeev sani sir it's mentioned in one of the scriptures that apparently at this time mother sita was also having the same doubt when she got to know that rama would, would be performing this ashwamedha yaga she knew that it cannot be performed without a wife beside the king right and she was wondering if if rama will break his vow of ekapatni vratam or that one wife uh, vow that he had and marry again just for the sake of this yagna so she was apparently very troubled by this and valmiki comes to her and uh, gives her confidence that definitely that's not going to happen because you know rama is not any ordinary man so to give her more comfort it seems valmiki converts her into a bird and allows her to go and fly back to ayodhya and see the scene there Mm. and when she comes back and sees uh, you know this arrangement of a golden statue beside rama you know she realizes you know for that one moment she was wondering was rama really uh, upset about me that he sent me away to the forest so when she sees that scene she gets the confidence that rama purely acted as a you know result of his that being his dharma and not because of any personal like or dislike towards mother sita and you know when uh Rama gives the suggestion as you said all the uh, people in the kingdom are stunned at the simplicity of the solution at the same time the beauty of the solution and they are left wondering as to uh, how their king knows something which even the other others would have to do a deep study to know about I was reminded of the innumerable occasions when people in different professions people in different fields have come to swami with apparently impossible kind of problems and in just a few sentences swami gives the solution uh, be it i'm not remembering uh, specific examples uh, with details but i have heard 
definitely three four examples of doctors from our own super specialty hospital coming to swami with some very complicated case and saying that swami it's beyond us and it's not as if swami helps them from a uh, in quotes divine way in such that uh, he say uh, the heart heals by itself or something grows by itself and becomes fine it's not like that swami actually gives a scientific solution a medical solution and once he gives the solution the doctors are really left stupefied as to oh god how does swami know this there is one very very interesting story which uh, we used to hear from our teachers this happened in the very early time of the prashandalya in the 50s and 60s apparently there was one lady in the village who in the early morning you know when it's very very chilly in the mornings uh, especially in the winter time here so apparently she got up one morning and she was stretching herself in a yawn right she was just putting her hands up and she was yawning and because of that cold and stiffness of the muscles her muscles and bones got locked in that position so she couldn't move after that you know mouth open and the hands stretched up so they didn't know what to do there was no medical help around they seems the husband came running to swami and so he said swami this is what has happened what do we do okay and swami asked that man do you have confidence in me right do you have trust and faith in my words so he said definitely swami that's why i've come all the way to you then swami said okay do what i'm telling you without questioning Okay, Swami said, "Take your wife to a room, put a small table, make a stand on that table, and fill that room with men. Okay, and then call me. I'll come and I'll cure her." So they didn't know what was happening, and so the man did as Swami told. So Swami went to that room and apparently went to this lady who was standing on the table, caught hold of the end of her sari, and Swami said, "I'm going to pull your sari." <laughs> okay, and that moment Swami just gave a slight tug. and in that shock apparently that lady pulled out her hand and she said tommy what are you doing hmm. and you know it was no divine uh, indulgence or anything like that with a very practical way using the modesty of that woman which is the inner in nature of you know uh, women in rural india tommy cured that lady without any medical intervention as i said it is uh, not just in the medical field uh, when we look at the construction of chaitanya jyoti Colonel Bose, who is now the curator there, he tells about the innovative way in which the whole Chaitanya Jyoti was built because there was a deadline, a timeline, a timeline to be adhered to, and uh, there was a hill that had to be dug for the Chaitanya Jyoti to be built. So instead of a building coming up vertically as it always does, you know, first we have the foundation, then we have the ground floor, the first floor, second floor. This was built in a kind of a parallel construction where. as the foundation of one part is laid the upper stories are being built even before the foundation for the next part is laid so mm-hmm. it was built a kind of in a kind of horizontal manner and again credit for the idea goes to swami so not only in this field in every field the lord is the the fountain head of knowledge so it should actually not come as a surprise that rama is able to come out with a solution that is scripturally okay which has which is uh, fine by the scriptures at the same time it satisfies all the vows and all the conditions that is what he does and swami writes that this idol of sita that was made it is made to perfection and in a single day now that is amazing today when we think of uh, perfections in creating 3d models uh, the thing that comes to my mind is madam tussauds Mm-hmm. the uh, wax museum in london london right yeah. right where they create replicas of many celebrities and they go to great extent taking multiple photographs and you know it is not a simple task but they come out with it perfectly to have created 
a statue of a person whose photograph you don't have within one day that to set in metal not wax it's a tremendous feat and swami writes it was done in one day when i was reading that the only thought that i got was this again this is based on my own experience i have seen at times prem that because i have this habit of writing regularly i have seen that at times you know i want to write on a particular subject means my mind has conceived of it and i want to write it and i sit down to write it i see that sometimes 2 hours pass and i have written something like 400 words at the same time and at the uh, there are instances where suddenly you know you you feel that kind of a shivering inspiration something strikes you and it just flows out and i have seen that there are times when uh, a 2000 word uh, article or a text is ready in a matter of an hour how is it that sometimes in 2 hours you don't get even 400 words at other times you get 2000 words in less than an hour it is at those times that i realized that when it truly flows spontaneously it is not your mind it is something beyond the mind it is that blessing where in that field you have got to connect with the source with the lord that is when it happens and this is an experience i feel of artists and people in different fields a scientist who gets a sparkling idea uh, a sportsman who suddenly gets into the zone and plays something which he can't do otherwise these are times when we connect to our inner reality the truth what i call a swami what others may call it as any other name what is fundamentally the atma or that or uh, the divinity within i feel that is what shows that it was fully divinely ordained because humanly it is impossible to create even a mediocre idol or statue in gold in a span of 24 hours but here swami writes that the the statue was so perfect that people who were sitting far in the yagna thought it's actually the mother who has come and who is seated there in fact you know uh, the next week we'll talk more about it but in one of the discourses swami mentions that when he was talking about the hospital hmm. he said the lnt uh, engineers and the people who are supervising the construction of the hospital they came back to swami and they said swami we have done projects in many parts of the world in many parts of uh, india but there is something weird about the workers working in here because probably they're just inspired by the idea that they're building something which is so unique a hospital which is going to you know serve the patients absolutely free or what is it we don't know but the kind of energy and the kind of effect uh, you know efficiency which they show in their work here is not seen in the projects which we do elsewhere so it is definitely not attributed to the uh, planning of the engineering team or you know, or the, the physical or mental attributes right there's something more and you know just that that's why swami would often say you know the uh, the triplet of purity unity and divinity swami would often say when there is purity of intention and that purity is you know fortified with unity of people coming together i mean it's it's quite natural for divinity to manifest there as you're saying to manifest from within to and that's exactly what you, know, you can see in every swami's activity and as you're saying that the parallel can be drawn with this because uh, it is not an easy task when rama decides that let's have a statue of mother sita to produce that and you know the amount of melting alone which has to go into making mm-hmm. a statue of that size and it's not 5 feet it's not 6 feet according to what swami has described those days people were much taller probably you know to go with all of that description 
to make a statue and that statue looked absolutely similar to Mother Sita. That's one thing. The other thing is how much the citizens of Ayodhya must have imprinted the image of Mother Sita in their mind to be able to replicate an image in in that likeness. You know, that much she must have won their hearts even though she was not present there, even though she was away for so many years, for them to be able to visualize her and to you know depict her in that image. Swami then, you know, goes on to write about the Yagna Hall. I felt this was a very nice uh, statement that Swami has written. He says that the Yagna was protected by 500 warriors on the outside and from within it was protected by the Vedic chants. I just felt that this statement is so beautiful because uh, we often consider protection as something external. But here Swami emphasizes that as much as the external, if not more, is the internal protection. And this internal protection is afforded by these Vedic chants. And that is how Swami describes the grand progress and culmination of this yagna. At the culmination of the yagna, as as it happens in any Ashwamedha yagna, a horse is set to set free. And whichever land this horse enters is supposed to be taken over by the person who is doing the Ashwamedha Yagna. If the person, if anybody opposes this, then he has to battle either this king or the representative of this king. And if he is able to defeat the king, he becomes supreme. If he is unable to, he must agree to be a vassal king to the person who has done the Ashwamedha Yagna. So this horse is set out. Actually, at this point in time, I want to take a few minutes to... uh, explain what can possibly be the metaphorical meaning of Ashwamedha Yagna. The, the horse is often used to symbolize the mind because it is said that the mind is as fickle as the horse. If you see the horse, every moment some part of the body or, or not is moving. In fact, the horse doesn't lie down even while sleeping. The horse is possibly one of the few animals that sleeps also while standing up. <laughs> you know, the moment the horse sleeps, you know that it's going to die. That's how they say the, if the horse lies down, it's Mostly that its death is near. So too it looks like the mind. Unless and until the death is near. Uh, and since mind doesn't have death. Even when the physical body is dying. The mind is running in a hundred directions. So the horse is representation representative of the mind. And we often think that in order for us to be successful and great. Wherever the mind wanders. Whether it wanders on to people, wanders on to career, wanders on to money or power, whatever. We must get it in our control. Then only we become the supreme authority. But that is not true because in the end of the Ashwamedha Yagna, they say that the horse has to be sacrificed. Only when the horse is sacrificed, will you be deemed as a person who has completed the Yagna successfully. So it means that The mind may desire great things and you may have the capacity to achieve whatever the mind is desiring. But that doesn't make you great. You become a person who has performed Ashwamedha Yagna only when you sacrifice the mind, when you go beyond the mind. I feel this is the metaphorical meaning of the Ashwamedha Yagna which we should uh, get inspired from. Actually, it's a very, very important point that you make because this has a very, very important reference to the way the Ramayana is going to progress now at this point. But we'll come to that a bit later. But uh, as you said, this was the procedure. The, the uh, It's a beautifully ornate, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 
very beautifully decorated horse is taken and it is allowed to go around and the army follows the horse wherever it goes and uh, then you know swami says that this horse on this horse is written an inscription which is therefore the people who come across that to read on the forehead a copper plate is made a uh, gold plate a gold plate is made and on that this inscription is there swami says the inscription written there is in the city of ayodhya there is a hero he is the destroyer of enemies even the lord of gods trembles at the sight of him this horse is his sacrificial animal the strong may lay hold of it or they have to pay him tax and tribute or if they cannot do either they must flee into the jungles right that was what was written in this uh, gold plate and fixed on the forehead of that horse i think at this point another episode that swami mentions is because this is again uh, significant for the sacrifice because the idea of the sacrifice itself is somebody who is trying to impress upon the people of the land his authority his moral authority as well as royal authority over all you know vassal kings as you said so that is when uh, one of the sages who has come for the uh, yagna sage bhargava comes and tells him that you know you definitely is something which you have to do but before this you will have to do one small favor for you know all the brahmins the uh, sages on the i think it's in the western side right hmm. western side of the uh, indian subcontinent he says that there is this uh, demon by name lavana it's ravana is r this is l for lavana so he is the one who is uh, ruling a city called i think it, the city's name is madurapura and his he is actually the son of uh, uh, asura by name madhu i think he also there's a mention of him earlier in the ramayana but unlike other asuras this asura madhu is supposed to be a very holy uh, asura and apparently he's been uh, you know he is a devotee of vishnu he's a he's kind of very friendly in terms with the devatas and that's how he is described in the scriptures so his city is called madurapura and they say that it could well be the mathura of the dwapara yuga but they're not uh, i mean it, just by the similarity of the names but he was uh, you know his kingdom was followed by this lavana who was unlike his father a very very cruel person a tyrant but nonetheless like ravana he had also won the grace of lord shiva and and as a grace i think he had uh, got a trishul from lord shiva a trident a trident which he could use for his defense and it became a very formidable defense none of them could defeat him the other kings were all subdued by him and he started spreading cruelty on a, a lighter note prem it looks like uh, when every avatar comes there is one demonic person by name madhu to you know counter the avatar because i remember even krishna krishna is called madhusudana because he kills a demon called madhu mm-hmm. right <laughs> anyway coming back to the story so this trident that uh, lavana has won from shiva in fact uh, swami also mentions that madhu is related to vibhishana because uh, vibhishana's right. step sister Vibhishana apparently had a step mother and therefore he has a half sister or a step sister whose name is Kumbinasha. Kumbinasha is married to Madhu and uh, it is out of the union of Madhu and Kumbinasha that Lavana has uh, come. So in that way he is uh, related to Vibhishana. But uh, when Rama is told about this it is possibly uh, also told to Rama because this might be the only king or ruler who might object to bowing down before rama because all of the kings 
will mm-hmm. take a, a kind of pleasure and privilege in accepting the suzerainty of uh, Rama. But Lavana may not. And therefore, uh, he might have been pointed out to Rama as this is the only challenger that you have to subdue. And that's why Rama sends Shatrugna, you know. But before sending Shatrugna, the moment this is told that he has got a unassailable trident that is from Lord Shiva himself and therefore nobody can defeat him, Swami writes that Rama bursts out into great laughter. And Rama says that that fool doesn't realize that it was me as Shiva who gave him that. And uh, he is now thinking that he can use it against who has given it to him only. In this, this is a very uh, significant and beautiful statement because in India, for a long time there has been a kind of a uh, battle, if I may say so, between the Vaishnavas or the followers of Lord Vishnu, Vishnu and the Shaivas or the followers of Shiva. And all this fight originates from... Uh, each one's belief that their God is supreme. While the Vaishnavas say that Vishnu is supreme over Lord Shiva, the Shaivites say that Shiva is supreme over Lord Vishnu. And there have been many wise people who have tried to bridge this gap, you know. <laughs> I remember there's one uh, statement that goes, Vishnu Sya Hridayam Shivaha Shiva Sya Hridayam Vishnu, which means that Vishnu is the indweller of Shiva's heart and Shiva is the indweller of Vishnu's heart. Uh, close by Puttaparthi, there's a beautiful, uh, it's called, it's a, uh, temple, beautiful temple at Lepakshi. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's a architectural marvel and it's a, it's also, what do they call that term? It's a heritage site. Heritage site. Yeah. I was searching for that term. <laughs> it's a heritage site. And in this uh, temple, which is more than 500, 600 years old, there, there is one thing very interesting. Next to the main shrine, there are two small temples. One of Lord Vishnu, one of Shiva. The interesting thing is, for the Linga, the Pita or the base is the one on which actually Vishnu rests. Mm -hmm. And for Vishnu, the base on which he rests is the Pita of the Lingam. So, uh, when you go there, the guide will tell you that this temple came into a time when there was a lot in the 15th century, 14th century in India, there was a lot of uh, battle between Vaishnavas and Shaivites. So therefore, he says that here it is showing that Vishnu is supported by Shiva and in the other temple it is showing that Shiva is supported by Vishnu. So a lot of attempts have been made and here also Rama is saying that only, that there is no difference between me and Shiva. In fact, uh, at this point in time, Prem, I am sure you also will remember, on innumerable occasions, Swami has also done the same. Swami has made people who are devoted only to the Vishnu form of Godhead to accept Lord Shiva, in fact, celebrate Lord Shiva (coughs) and vice versa also. I am reminded of one discourse uh, where Swami mentioned this. I think this discourse was delivered on the 20th of October 1988. In that, Swami relates an incident uh, of what happened when he went to a region that is dominated by people who adore Shiva. In fact, their adoration of Shiva is so much that they don't want to even listen to the name of Vishnu. In fact, one of the commentators on this was saying that those people, when they, uh, you know, the uh, they don't even apply the vibhuti in a vertical manner. They'll apply it only in horizontal manner. Even in that, they're so particular because horizontal is for Shiva and vertical is for Vishnu. That kind of uh, orthodox Shiva followers, what happened there, I think, as a little aside, it would be nice to listen to it in Swami's own voice. Sure, I think it's a very famous incident, I think documented even in Satim Shram Sundaram. So we'll listen to it in Swami's own voice. Swami himself is describing it. This is from 
the Dashara discourse Swami gave on 20th of October 1988. In this Karnataka University at that time, all people were Sivanamamuta Anyanamun Vari Karnamlo Pematramu Prevation Chakodu. They were not prepared to allow any name excepting the name of Shiva. Andaru Yaksavi Pasangani Kocharu. All people came more divided. Karnamulo Nenu Panyaso Praram Mitchum Darwarlo, Karnataka University Lo. First I started my discourse in Canada in Karnataka University Darwad. Kani Vari Kanadam Katana Karnam Sala Madhuranga Utunadi. My Canada was much sweeter than the Canada of those people. Ah, Canada was much sweeter than the Canada of those people. All those people were thrilled by the Canada which I just used. My practice is that I will always just end my discourse with Namasankitan. I just resolved to find out in what state these all these people are assembled. For them, they do not like the name of Vishnu at all. Narayana. If you utter the name of Narayana, they close their ears. Krishna ante kudnu yematram kudnu variki vinipinchu kudnu thala nuptar. Even if you utter the name of Krishna, they are not prepared to listen. They bend their heads. Samayamlo nenu. Govinda Krishna Jai, Gopala Krishna Jai, Gopala Bal, Bala Radha Krishna Jai. Annalo. At that time I sang this song, Govinda Krishna Jai. Vari Yevi Parthunaro, Yemi Chestunaro, Yemi Chel, Andarpunu, Govinda Krishna Jai, Arthur. Forgetting all their innate prejudices, they began participating in this Sankirtan. Andulo, Vyrasay, Guru Kuda Untunaru, Atanakuda Yinavani Parthu there was one Virasaiva preceptor in that, he also joined the Sankirtana. Vice-Chancellor, we do not understand what miracles Swami performs. The inner significance of all this is that in Nama Sankirtana, all my Marishikanamukavinchi Anandamanaku, Kuntavaku, Avukasamandi Chet with the Waka Namami. It is only the name which makes people forget their body consciousness and enjoy the bliss of the name. Swami describing that beautiful scene in uh, the Dharwad University. You know, uh, I mean, uh, even as Swami was saying that the context in which we spoke about that uh, incident was. Swami Rama seeing that I am the same Shiva who gave him that trident and then Rama calls to his side Shatrugna and gives him that duty of uh, you know in- engaging Lavana in a battle and decimating him and Swami describes that whole the war scene where Shatrugna goes with a huge army and in a war that ends you 64,000 of the Rakshasas are destroyed by Shatrugna single handedly in that battle in fact, uh, Rama gives him a quiver of the arrows which Rama himself uses and blesses him to go in you know, participate in that battle. So that's how this scene happens even as they are preparing for the Ashwamedhi Agnya. And on the other hand, the horse is already set 
uh, you know, set around to go about to the other kingdoms. Swami also describes the beauty of the horse. He says that Rama sends his brother Lakshmana to find the horse. I mean, select the horse from the stables and it has been done well in advance. And when the horse comes, it is bedecked. It has, uh, it looks like as if it's wearing a peacock feather. But along with the peacock feather are lot of uh, diamonds and jewelry in the uh, in the way the horse is decked itself and summarizing the whole thing you know swami writes that it looks as if it's one of the seven horses of lord surya himself shining in all effulgence you know because uh, though it is not as if lord surya has lord surya travels in a chariot which is drawn by seven horses it's called Suvarna Aditya Ratham. In mm-hmm. fact, Swami's golden chariot also is called like that, Suvarna Aditya Ratham. It's not as if those horses are very special. But since they are carrying their master lord, the sun god, the horses also get effulgence of the sun god. And that is the reason why even Swami's golden chariot is called Suvarna Aditya Ratham. Aditya Ratham because these horses are drawing the Lord, the effulgence to the chariot, it is not as if the chariot gives effulgence to Swami, but when Swami is on the chariot, the chariot gets its effulgence because of Swami. So, that is the way Swami compares the horse, Ashwamedha horse, which is released, and uh, Shatrughna is accompanying, you know, after his, uh, after the defeat of, after killing Lavana, uh, Shatrughna, his name itself symbolizes that, that seems to be his job in the kingdom, to uh, annihilate the enemies. Shatrughna. So he uh, he accompanies the Ashwamedha Yagna horse along with I think about 50 odd thousand soldiers who are part of Rama's army who are going along with him and they reach the banks of Yamuna. Now when this horse reaches the banks of Yamuna there are these twins Lava and Kusha whom we had mentioned they are the sons of Rama actually the sons of Mother Sita they have grown they have almost became, become teenagers now in this period of exile of Mother Sita. Really, you know, after a 14-year exile, Mother Sita is facing another 14-year exile here. And in that time, Lava and Kusha are born and they are brave boys. They have been trained by Valmiki and they have been um, in, the, in the field of archery and they are excellent archers. And they see this thing written on the horse which says that if you are brave enough to fight, then you can hold the horse. Otherwise bow down to the supremacy of our king and these two boys feel that they don't want to do that and so they capture the horse and when they capture the horse and Shatrugna comes to know uh, he tries, he doesn't know that these are Rama's children he knows nothing he just thinks that these are two hermitage boys and he tells them that you see you are doing this as a prank you don't understand the implications just free the horse and you know let us go on our way you go and continue your games when he says that the twins mock him they say oh so you are that brave soldier who is supposed to be protecting the horse instead of fighting you are sitting and begging with us begging from us whom you consider as mere boys if you have you know if you have some dare daring to fight if you have bravery if you are courageous if you truly stand for the mighty king about whom it has been uh, emblazoned on the horse's head then take up your arms and fight that is how a battle begins between Shatrugna's forces and these two twins. Right, and Shatrugna has clearly underestimated the abilities of these boys because very, very swiftly he loses that battle and he's actually his chariot is shattered to pieces by the arrows and uh, he is also felled. He's, you know, he has fallen uh, unconscious in that battlefield when uh, some of the soldiers rush back to Ayodhya with his news. 
you know what has happened these two boys are captured and shatrughna has been uh, defeated in the battle so immediately rama sends lakshmana next and lakshmana comes with another huge force and uh, lakshmana too was not expecting to see what he saw there because again there were two young boys and he did not have the heart to engage them in battle so lakshmana also goes and speaks to them very lovingly first he says why are you doing all this you know whose children are you why don't you give your give the horse and go back and the same thing happens with lakshmana too the boy say why are you begging us we thought you are a great hero who's come to defend your king's name and this is what you do after coming to the battlefield and lakshmana is one who's as we have seen before who gets very very easily incensed and so he is very upset the moment uh, something slightingly is spoken about rama more than being spoken about his valor moment something is spoken about rama is very very uh, you know angered by it so in in fact he is able to uh, i think make kusha unconscious right in the yes. in the course of that battle but that makes lava all the more strong and he pounces on lakshmana uh, a physical battle ensues in which lakshmana is defeated and lakshmana is matched for blow for blow which he is not expecting like even if you can think that they might match each other in archery to be able to match each other in physical, physical uh, you know prowess is something which is uh, lakshmana did not expect and eventually lakshmana also is defeated in the process and now the some of the soldiers rush back to rama with this news that even lakshmana was defeated by these brothers and all this while rama knows the truth because swami writes in the ramkatha ravani that how can rama not know rama knows everything but he has known everything right from his birth through uh, the yagna till till the killing of ravana and what's going to happen next also he knows everything and yet the lord behaves like he knows nothing it's such a beautiful statement you know lord knows everything yet he behaves like he knows nothing man knows nothing but he behaves like he knows everything so he calls on bharata now because that is the next brother who has to go for the battle but uh, bharata you know is bemoaning he's he's <laughs> telling rama that you know i think brother possibly this is because of of the bad thing we did by sending away sita and this actually hurts and incenses rama it is almost like you know after so many years you still feel that rama did a wrong thing uh, i think this is a very subtle message here that we should all take in because it happens to us many times we feel that we have been kind on swami we have been loving to swami to accept him swami made a mistake but still you know when even when it comes to uh, swami leaving the physical we say swami should not have done it actually you know it's almost like we are doubting the universal wisdom we are doubting the divine wisdom we do it all the while and one can understand how loving and compassionate swami is because when bharata does it once or twice in spite of his lifelong devotion and dedication to rama rama is upset because that is not what is expected from a soul that is pining to merge so rama is upset and he tells bharata if you are not ready to go it's fine i will go then so rama leaves but bharata is now no ordinary person you know he is also of that stature so when he sees rama is leaving how can i not follow my lord so bharata and rama now lead their forces and in fact even before rama can engage with the boys lava and kusha bharata himself comes to engage because it's probably his wisdom that he realizes his mistake it's like rama i never wanted to go against you i'm sorry for this so bharata engages and soon bharata is also in a swoon and now it is as if like rama himself has to enter and defend otherwise the ashwamedha yagna goes uh, flop you know it becomes mm-hmm. <laughs> a failure because if you are not able to defend the horse it is like you have to accede your supremacy to those who have defeated you 
uh, I think at this point in time, it's a very interesting climax. What happens next? Uh, we are reaching almost the completion of the Ramayana. Uh, before that, we will take a little break. Dear listeners, don't go anywhere because the climax of the Ramkathara Savahini, the climax of the Ramayana story as written by our dear Swami is coming soon after this break. Ramajayam, Raghuramajayam, Raghavaramula, Kemamayam. Ramajayam, Raghuramajayam, Raghavaramula, Kemamayam. Sāpati Rāgava Mantram Rāma Sītāpati Rāgava Mantram Krema Nikuna Gana Seva Nirantram Rāma Daya Para Parama Pavitram Raghukula Dasarata Sutta Puta Mitram Raghukula Ramayam, 
Welcome back dear listeners Rama is now facing his own children in battle and you know this is amazing because on one side we have Lava and Kusha who have defeated Shatrughna and Shatrughna is not an ordinary person he had actually he is the one who has killed Lavana and he is the one who single-handedly is supposed to have defended the kingdom of Ayodhya for 14 years because Rama was away in the forest and Bharata was in Nandigram absolutely and, uh, and then after that they have beaten lakshmana who is the one who has killed indrajit you know he is not an ordinary person and then bharata has now been fallen and on the other side you have lord rama lord rama whom you know we have in this same ramkatha rasavaini series we have seen how with one single arrow he has vanquished 40000 50000 rakshasas in a trice that is rama's capability and therefore a battle royal ensues at a divine level rama knows everything but at a human level he participates he is angry he is upset that these two boys have inflicted so much casualties in fact hanuman tries to go and reason with the uh, boys uh, and uh, lava and kusha mock hanuman and send him away and when hanuman tries to battle they en- they end up tying a hanuman you know with their arrows this is something that ravana could not do this is something that the whole kingdom of lanka could not do and they managed to do it and therefore now rama steps in to fight and again a long battle ensues but at the end of it rama himself is bound but even before that sami writes that rama also does tries to negotiate with these two boys he goes and he asks them you know who are you and and again the two children start mocking at him and he says what does it have to do with our lineage and who our parents are so rama insists he says you're too young and as a king it is my duty to know about you before i fight with you that's why i'm asking and probably rama would have been much much more patient than bharata or shatrughna or you know uh, lakshmana. lakshmana so they finally tell him that we are the children of mother sita who is living in the ashram of valmiki we don't know about our father and hence we don't know about our lineage so that is when rama physically comes to know that you know he's going to battle his own children but then he begins to battle and as you said he gets defeated you know there is a very beautiful uh, explanation was somebody was giving about this once and was talking about the dilemma which rama was going through when he had to battle mother i mean uh, lava and kusha so apparently it is said that here is divinity itself being opposed by two boys and what are they armed with it is not their talent or it is not their ability in the battlefield but they are armed with the blessings of their mother so it it seems god was in a confusion should i create a situation where you know god's strength overrules the blessings of the mother or god says that the mother's blessings are so powerful that it can be even it has the ability even to subdue god and it seems rama says that this is the best example i can set for you know generations to come that if you earn your mother's blessings then even the blessings of the lord is easy to get and i think that's something which sami has mentioned many many times in his discourses that one who has not been able to earn the blessings and love of his mother will never deserve the love of god and it was to show that for humanity sami would say I mean, it was some uh, you know it's explained that rama decided to court defeat in this battle between lava kusha and himself 
possibly the only defeat not possibly definitely the only defeat that he faced in his life and that was not a defeat it was a victory in fact because when it comes to love a sacrifice is a victory it is never considered as a defeat you know with the background of what you said about mother i now i am reminded of the other statement that swami would often make saying that when you can't understand one mother's love how will you understand a thousand mothers love right. and that is what it is because rama is the one of a thousand mothers love he is able to sacrifice for the sake of mothers love you know that is that is something so beautiful and this part you know it 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 strikes a poignant chord in me always because because of what i got the blessing or privilege to witness in swami's last few months you know uh, in the last ever physical birthday of bhagwan that is i think the 85th birthday celebrations in 2010 the concluding program the grand finale was a program by the students students uh, entitled prema pravaham you know and prema pravaham was seven specially composed songs which attempt to describe the glory of the satyasai avatar they were in different topics and themes and each of them had been tuned beautifully and and the story of prema pravaham how it came about how swami encouraged it and how the singers every part of it is fascinating maybe we can take it up take it up for another complete different fortnight on afternoon satsang but that program fine the grand finale was swami on the grand throne sitting and listening to his story being sung by his his students his children and you know it was almost like swami watched his entire life in front of his eyes literally also because the giant screen had been put there and the video and edited video was there which was showing the whole thing as the song was being sung and i say this part is very poignant because this is precisely what happened rama allowed himself to be captured by his children just as swami allowed himself to be captured by his students his children when anybody comes and tells us you know that you are special you are swami students it actually humbles me because frankly prem what special are we we are no we are special only because the lord chose to make us that way otherwise in terms of talents abilities skills nobility anything there are hundreds and thousands of people better than us it is just that the lord decided to get captured by us for whatever reason that it happened just like how rama decided that he would be bound he would be bound by lava and kusha he would he would be captured by lava and kusha a feat that nobody else has done it is not anything great about lava and kusha it is just that they were blessed to be children of rama so whenever i hear this whenever i read this i just feel that is the thing there is nothing special about me or you it is just that we are blessed to be the children of sai rama and just like this prema pravaham that is what happens you know into rama also because as we shall shortly see this is when rama has decided like the culmination of the ashwamedha yagna to actually give up everything it is not to conquer the whole world that he is doing the ashwamedha yagna he is very shortly going to give up everything including his very life breath and later on you know once the revelations take place i'm just jumping a little bit ahead to complete this theme that when the revelations are done lava and kusha actually sing the ramakatha in the court of rama you know and rama listens to his own story and glory sung by his children it's almost like rama sees his entire life pass before his eyes and the the simile the similarity is too striking just like the sai avatar 
the grand finale was when the lord sat on the throne saw the end saw his entire life his story and his glory before his own eyes sung by his own children before deciding to leave that is precisely what rama also does uh, later on you know once they come to the kingdom so that's why i say this part is very very poignant for me very personally from personal point of view also so rama is now captured and the twins are very thrilled they rush to their mother sita to convey the news that you know the ashwamedha horse has not been uh, rescued and therefore we are now supreme i think because we have defeated all the uh, protectors of the horse right and not only that they actually you know take this this entire uh, retinue of heroes whom they have defeated as booty in front of their mother and you know and, and go to their mother and say you know this is what we have won in battle and uh, mother sita is very surprised to see this you know she is seeing monkeys and men and uh, bears and all of them in this group which lava and kusha have conquered and just then valmiki comes running there and uh, you know he is in panic and he says uh, what have you done boys what have you done and then he describes to mother sita what has happened and he says that you know he starts untying hanuman and jambavan and that's when mother sita also realizes who they are and then he says that you know your son has defeated all these great heroes in battle he has bound rama lakshmana bharata and shatrughna and uh, you know they all come to lakshmana and others come and see mother sita and they see that it's after all lavakusha they own you know nephews but before that happens actually you know the moment sita comes to know that her children have inflicted this damage onto the honor of onto the, the honor of the rama Ra, uh, yeah rama's clan and she shocked because she knows how much the honor of the clan means to rama because he for the sake of the honor of the clan he went to the forest for the, whatever he has done he has done for the sake of the honor of the clan and now it has been brought down and tarnished in this manner so even before valmiki comes or even before any explanation is made the first thing that sita already says is that my life is no longer worth living you know because it is my own children i have been in a way responsible for tarnishing the name for which rama has stood all his life rama is my life rama is dear to me more than anything else uh, for those for our listeners who heard our last week satsang we can see again now sita has turned back her priorities when ram when she was with rama she said i wanted to go, i want to go and visit the hermitages but when she separated from rama she is again back to saying only rama means for me more rama means for me more than my own life and that's why sita at this point in time vows makes a decision that she is not going to live any longer this is going to be the end of her life the day when she has seen her own children her own progeny bring down the name of the ragukula by uh defeating all these warriors and capturing rama her lord himself she decides that today will be the last day i will not live any longer and uh, you know even in this time it is not rama is not coming to the presence of sita you know, because he is already you know uh, aware of the fact that lavakusha are his children even before he began the battle but these other brothers are surprised you know bharata shatrugna they see her and they come back and uh, they relate to her you know relate to rama the state of mother sita and and at that time rama sends word to mother sita that she has my permission to do what she has decided to do you know he there's nothing transpiring between them about the details of what she has decided to do only rama sends word that she has the permission to do what she has decided to do because what she has decided is the right thing and the right time has come 
And Swami writes that Rama was thinking that it's time that Mother Sita returned to her abode where her real nature is. As we said that this is the Maya Sita who is continuing to live on earth. So at this point that is conveyed to Mother Sita and that's when the final moments of Mother Sita comes. You know, we had described in the beginning how Mother Sita is called Bhujata because she is born from the earth. She has not taken birth in any ordinary fashion, just like Rama did not take birth in ordinary fashion. He was born of the fire and Sita was born of the earth. She is actually found by Emperor Janaka when a plough hits uh, the earth. So she is Bhujata. She is considered as the daughter of Mother Earth. And because she is the daughter of Mother Earth, Sita prays to her mother, you know, Mother Earth, saying that, Mother, I have lived my entire life in a fruitful and fulfilled fashion. If it is true, you know, with Lakshmana as the witness, Sita says, if it is true that throughout my life, I have been loyal to Rama and nobody else, I have been loyal to only Rama, then please receive me. Receive me, I am waiting for you. And it is said that the earth splits and from the uh, from the heart of the earth comes out a grand royal throne on which is seated Bhudevi or Goddess Earth. And Bhudevi comes and she embraces Sita and receives Sita in her embrace and retreats back to the heart of the earth. And that is the end of the physical form of Sita. You know, even as this happens... What strikes is that a life that is led in purity, a life that is led in contemplation of the Lord, a life that is led in Satya and Dharma, it it leads to complete fulfillment. While all of us have to be buried in the earth, here the earth comes and receives the mother. We see this happening even in the uh, Mahabharata, you know, in the end when the Pandavas decide to walk, all the Pandavas fall away during that walk in the Himalayas, it is only Yudhishthira who is allowed to enter heavens in the same body and form that he had on earth. So, in our scriptures, metaphorically it is presented as a privilege if you are allowed to enter the other world or the heaven in the same body that you have led your life on earth. Because the body on earth is considered, as Swami would say, you know, Malanekukampa, it's, it's actually a Uh, It's ridden with disease, sickness. It's not very clean. And the other world is supposed to be the world of purity. So, it is a tribute to your purity if you are able to go to the other world in the same body. And the privilege that Yudhishthira gets much later in the Dwapara Yuga, that is a privilege that Mother Sita is getting because in that same form, Mother Bhudevi comes and receives her and takes her back to her abode. And at this point, I'd like to refer back to what you told about the Ashwamedha Yagna, you know, where the uh, the horse which is representative of the mind is allowed to go around and finally the mind has to be, you know, uh, sacrificed in the course of that sacrifice or the Yagna. You know, this episode, when we talk about it in the Adhyatmic uh, angle, which we have, you know, very often referred to, angle. right, where we speak of Rama being the Atma and Mother Sita being the mind filled with Jnana. According to, you know, the traditional belief in when uh, the Jivatma merges and, you know, you acquire knowledge of the Atman, which you call as uh, Brahmagnan or whatever. It is believed when the mind has Brahmagnan, you still are living in a state where the individual soul is separate from the Atma, but only that knowledge binds the individual to the Parabrahman. 
right and you your mind is still active and that mind is filled with this wisdom but even that is not the ultimate state the ultimate state is when this mind is completely decimated and you know they refer to it as a state of amanaska where you know you don't have the mind with wisdom but the mind with its wisdom is completely removed from the thing amanaska translates into a state without the mind without the mind beyond the mind right and and since this ramayana is completely nothing but the journey of that jivatma merging completely with parmatma it is but natural that there should be a stage where the mind goes before the atma actually you know uh, retreats to its place of source and that is why the scene of you know it's very very symbolic in that sense that mother sita had to go and after that rama also decides to you know go back to the source rama returns to the kingdom uh, the ashwamedha yagna is a success because there's nobody opposing rama but see that is the difference between uh, at this point in time if we look at rama as a person as a human being between a realized soul and a soul that is still steeped in the world because having conquered the world rama decides to give up the world you know just show that it means nothing at all it would look as if you know for normal humans when we are struggling when i am struggling for my daily food when i am struggling for this life doesn't seem worth living you know we often get questions why should i live we get the questions of why should i live like this when we are in deep depression when we are deprived of everything i don't think any of us think of why we should live when we have an abundance of everything because we feel this is what life is all about life is about enjoying and merry making but that is the difference between a realized soul and uh, and any one of us because here rama stayed on when he had nothing and when in a worldly sense he achieved everything that is when he decides that i will i will leave i don't want i don't want any of this so they returned to ayodhya and one more uh, point that we should make here is uh, the state of equilibrium of raja janaka you know emperor janaka he has not seen sita during the ashwamedha yagna because sita is in exile and now he will not be seeing sita anymore because she is already gone and yet his peace is unruffled his tranquility is the same and he is in the same state of acceptance and surrender not acceptance also celebration he celebrates everything because that is the kind of surrender he has and uh, so janaka that is one point i wanted to make so janaka is in that state of equilibrium and now as you said rama starts making preparations and at a physical level this manifests as uh, dividing and subdividing the kingdom to give it under the rule of different people and it's a very interesting point that you made about you know janaka and if you actually juxtapose it with what we were seeing about bharata you know this is generally the three types of devotees which we come across and in mm. fact three stages of devotion which each of us go through you know one thing is we when swami tells us something some of us see whether it is you know it is feasible to follow or not is it practical to follow or not and some of us follow I mean follow which is practical and you know excuse ourselves when it is not possible to follow hmm the other stage is when a devotee is you know the mind will always be troubling the mind will always be asking questions but the person will keep following swami's command you know just because it's swami's command even though you're not mentally convinced even though you don't have the reasons to silence your mind and the people who stand for that is bharata and lakshmana because lakshmana is every stage he struggles you know whether it has to be you know leave sita back uh, in the forest or at the point where she, he had to leave sita and go 
when Maharicha was being chased by Rama. At each stage he was in this confusion of whether to follow Rama's uh, you know, uh, command or not. But at the same time he was always following. Most of the time he actually stuck to Rama's command even when it was very very difficult for him. Hmm. We'll come to another episode where it again happens. But the third stage or the stage of the Jnani is that of Janaka. Where at no point he is actually questioning. He is, I mean, even at that point where, where we spoke last, uh, last week, where when he is called for the yagna, he comes with so much happiness. You know, he starts celebrating that Rama who is, you know, the same Rama who sent away his daughter to the forest, who is, you know, kind of, in that sense, ill-treated his daughter. But there is no questioning or no doubt in his mind. He is absolutely sure that whatever Rama is doing is right. And that comes up of that purest form of bhakti and surrender when that bhakti and jnana becomes one and that's what you know that is the state in which janaka is that of a jnani of a karma yogi and of a bhakta and so Rama as we said now he is back to the kingdom and uh, he divides his kingdom for for further rule because uh, once he leaves I think in the plan is also all all had come for a purpose. Once that purpose is completed, they are leaving. Uh, Sita is left, so Bharata, Shatrugna, Lakshmana will also be apparently leaving with Rama. So the first son of Bharata, whose name is Taksha, is given command over the southern kingdoms. The second son Pushkara is given a kingdom which goes by the same name, which is Pushkara. Then Lakshmana has two sons, Chitraketu and Chitrangada. They are very brave and uh, they are deputed to the western region. Possibly they shared the same kind of genetic code makeup of Lakshmana where they get angered easily and happy also easily. So they are given a region which is filled with so many Rakshasas. So they bravely defend and go defeat and set up a kingdom there in their two main cities. In the western region, Kusha, that is Rama's own son, one of the twins, Kusha, is installed as the king at Ayodhya, while Lava is awarded the northern region to rule. And uh, it is said that he sets up a capital at Lavapura, which is modern-day Lahore. Right. And uh, that is what happens. I don't know, there's no mention of Shatrugna's kids. Possibly he was... <laughs> I don't know what it is. Maybe right. they, so this is just what like, Swami says in the Ramkatara Swainya. Maybe how, just like uh, Shatrugna, yeah. Shatrugna's sons too, uh, took over the duties of their father where they were defending all these commanders in chief maybe (laughs) so Mm. of course and uh, Swami also states that Lanka is now being ruled by Vivishana and Kishkinda is given to Angada and Sugriva and so everything is set right and this is when Rama decides that it is the time to depart and you know no amount of pleading or prayers or anything by there is another beautiful episode at this point hmm. which is not mentioned in Ramakatha Raswani but Swami has mentioned many times and Swami would mention this episode to highlight one particular quality which Swami would want uh, youngsters today to you know, inculcate and uh, that is the passing away of Lakshmana because that again happens even before Rama hmm. you know, again Lakshmana also stands for Buddhi you know a part of the mind and that again he cannot go along with Rama, according to that understanding of what we spoke of Rama being the Atma. And Swami would narrate this very uh, significant incident. Apparently, the, uh, you know, the, Swami would say that the, the ruler of time or Kala, you know, comes to meet Rama in, in an audience. He comes in the form of a sage and he comes to Rama and says, I want to discuss with you because it's time that you wind up your avatarhood. 
so when that discussion happens he says that we should be uh, you know conversing in uh, you know in private so ensure that nobody comes and disturbs our conversation so rama calls lakshmana and asks him to stay stay guard for that uh, you know the entrance to that place where these two are discussing he knows that lakshmana alone is the one who can you know completely hold on to the command which is given to him so when lakshmana is guarding the entrance and you know rama and the god of time is are discussing about how to come and bring this avatar to a conclusion sage durvasa comes there and he insists that he wants to see rama right away so lakshmana tells him that no i don't have the permission to let anybody inside and at that point lakshmana says i mean of course the one point which i forgot was rama tells lakshmana that if you allow anybody to come in then i will have to execute you so that is the uh, condition which rama gives lakshmana when he is asking lakshmana to stay guard and at that point durvasa comes he saying that if you don't allow me to enter i will curse you and rama and the entire ayodhya and all of you will be decimated right now right so at that point this is again a situation where lakshmana is having to choose between rama's command and otherwise and swami would say that lakshmana stops and thinks that if i disobey rama only i will lose only my head but if i disobey the the rishi then the entire ayodhya will be you know decimated so at that point he decides that i'll it is better to sacrifice sacrifice my one individual life than to compromise the lives of the entire uh, you know city and swami would often give this as an example for individual discrimination uh, individual dharma against social dharma that when you have a choice between saving yourself and saving the kingdom or saving the society you choose to save the society and that is supposed to be the nature which swami will highlight uh, addressing this issue and needless to say lakshmana allows durvasa inside and rama comes and rama does not I mean this how can you expect rama to have the heart to execute lakshmana but lakshmana does not wait till rama to tell him for rama to give him any command lakshmana himself goes and enters sarayu and ends his life that's how lakshmana's life comes to an end and uh, rama also decides that that is the way the avatarhood will be coming to a close where he'll be walking into the sarayu and we had mentioned this little episode again not in the ramkatha rasavahini but in the context of uh, dasya bhakti where uh, among the people who are ready to follow rama and leave with rama naturally there is hanuman hanuman sees no life without rama but even as rama is entering into the sarayu to give up his life he turns to lakshmana and uh, turns to hanuman and he says hanuman you can't come with me you should stay on you should stay on and that is why hanuman decides to stay on and he is considered a chiranjeevi he lives even in the kali yuga he lives forever till the end of time singing the glory of rama and being present wherever the glory of rama is sung and this we highlighted during dasya bhakti with the lesson that that is what is most important for a dasa if we consider ourselves as sai dasa we have to live for swami not die for swami because when hanuman got this opportunity to die for rama rama told him no hanuman don't die for me now i want you to live for me and hanuman's obedience was such that he obeyed and he continues to obey this is more significant for us now because uh, you know when swami physically left when he decided to complete the avatarhood there were many of these blessed devotees who got the chance to leave along with him uh the foremost that comes to my mind is dr savitrama who who is responsible for the successful running of the general hospital in bangalore and such a great 
डिवोटी ऑफ स्वामी शी शी लेफ्ट हर बॉडी ऑफ फ्यू डेज बिफोर स्वामी यू नो फ्यू डेज बिफोर स्वामी एंड शी नेवर गॉट टू नो ऑफ स्वामी हैविंग टू लीव द बॉडी एंड ऑल दैट इवन साई गीता साई गीता स्वामी Sai Gita was aware that the time is coming, and he said this way back in 2008. Yes, Swami said that she is preparing for me to receive me. That's what Swami said. So, like this, many devotees were blessed to get the opportunity to leave with Rama, but many did not. And I feel that this is a chance that Swami is giving us to become like Hanuman, to become like Hanuman. They, those were the devotees who got the blessed chance to die for the Lord. we are those who can make our life sanctified and blessed by choosing to live for the lord i pray to lord hanuman who is seated wherever the ramakatha is sung to give us that blessing that we to become like him in our love in our love for swami and that is how this entire you know epic of ramayana comes to an end where swami says rama followed by his brothers bharata and shatrugna as we said lakshmana has already concluded his life sajan and many many people join him apparently uh, you know many of the kings were given the opportunity many of the citizens of ayodhya were given the opportunity to join rama and all of them and mass entered saryu and conclude their its you know life sajan on earth and that is how the ramayana ends but you know to to even think of it this is the story which is you know as we started off with valmiki when he composed the ramayana says as long as the mountains stand as long as the rivers flow the story of ramayana will continue and even now even now the more and more science does research on this story of ramayana it is being more and more proved that it's historical it's not mythological and the more it is proved that it is historical the number of years the story is endured is coming to light you know 10000 years or 20000 years we don't know how many thousands of years it has it has lived it is it has become a part of the lives of the people of this land and the people of many many cultures in many many lands and thanks to swami ramkatara swaini i don't know how many more westerners and you know people of the orient would have come to uh, you know understand the story in its true light you know to be Uh, seen as a serial or seen as a movie or read as a novel is a different thing to be read as a biography is one to thing to be read as an autobiography right. is another and to be read with the essence you know along with the ramkatha raswani because the entire uh, set of discourses which swami gave on the ramayana on the different occasions when swami spoke about the ramayana all put together it's it's like the living uh, you know manuscript of this beautiful story of ramayana and swami has given us the opportunity to go through that for Two years now. Really, uh, Prem, you know the last statement that Swami writes in the Ramkatha Savahini is a blessing that Rama pronounces. He says that all those who come to Ayodhya and take a dip in the Sarayu will be blessed, will be blessed with everything, you know. And I feel that that even if we are physically not able to go to Ayodhya, take a dip in the Sarayu, if we are physically able to hold this book, the Ramkatha Savahini. and take a dip in its flow vahini means a flow vahini is the, the ceaseless flow if we are able to take dips again and again the ceaseless flow of this this vahini the ramkatha rasa vahini i think our lives will be sanctified we will find inspiration we will find devotion in our hearts and we will find so many similarities 
see Prem in the two years that we have gone through Rama's life I think we have been reminded so much of our Lord's life because that is how all avatars are just as Rama smiled and said that Lavan, Lavana doesn't realize that I as Lord Shiva only gave it gave him that trident I think Swami must be smiling and thinking that these boys or these people don't realize that it was I alone who had come as Rama at that time as Krishna at that time and as Sai at this time so when we read the Ramkatha Rasavaini, the story of an avatar, penned by an avatar, I think we can't get a greater pleasure and blessing than this. Really, from the bottom of our hearts, we should offer our grateful obeisance at the lotus feet of our dear Swami. And it's it's not just a book, you know, it's... And probably, just remind our listeners about it, This was these were all articles which Swami wrote for Sanatan Sarathi, and these were written in the midst of hectic activity, you know, when Swami was, the ashram was under construction for many, many years, the many of the blocks which you see here were under construction, Swami was traveling, Swami was giving darshan and interacting with people, there would be hours and hours of interview, interviews those days, in the midst of all this, Swami wrote these articles, and there are stories where we have read, you know, where Swami will, be, Swami will be traveling in the car he has written. Swami will be sitting in the bathroom and he will be writing so that he doesn't disturb devotees in the night. And we made this point in the discussion sometime back where, you know, when you give time to anything, you are actually giving your life to it because your life is made up of time. And Swami has given, you know, infused his life into these words, infused his life into this. All these Vainis and the Ramkataras Vaini are... I mean, it's the largest Vaini. The two volumes of Ramkataraswaini put together is the biggest book of book written by Swami. And Swami has literally infused fresh life of His into the story of Ramayana. And definitely, there is no match to the Ramkataraswaini as you know to be to be able to understand the essence of the Ramayana. With that, dear listeners, both Prem and myself. Uh, grateful to Swami and thankful to Swami and all of you for this privileged opportunity of having going through the Ramkatara Savahini at the end of these two years with gratitude in our hearts, with a kind of fulfillment in our hearts. Uh, we announce that we have come to a close of this Ramkatara Savahini. So instead of the Ramkatara Savahini, what we will be taking up, that will be a suspense, we will reveal later. But once again, I know, though it might sound cliched, yes, we're very, very grateful to Swami and to all of you for this beautiful opportunity. We bring the curtains down on the Ramkatara Savahini. We are grateful to Hanuman also for the inspiration and for being present always whenever we discuss the story of Lord Sri Rama. We will be ending this satsang with a bhajan. Um, this bhajan will also bring to close, as I said, the Ramkatara Savahini. And... Uh, uh, yes, may this inspire, may it inspire us to make our life into one long bhajan, one long singing of the glory of the Lord. And even as we conclude this weekend, we have the Akhand bhajan that will be a good first step towards leading our life as one long bhajan. Pivare. Ramarasam rasane pivare Ramarasam pivare Ramarasam 
ಬಿಮಲ ರೂಪಾಯ ವಿವಿಧ waves of divine ecstasy and experience the deep joy and bliss of sai bhajans to celebrate the 91st year of bhagwan baba's divine advent sai blossom presents bhajan medley volume 2 a collection of high energy congregational music to evoke sublimity devotion and a deep connect with divinity Let's purify our hearts, homes and environment with Bhajan Medley Volume 2. Available at Sai Blossom Stores Prashanti Nilayam from November 2016. A loving offering by Team Radio Sai at the lotus feet of our Lord Bhagwan Shri Satya Sai Baba. Narayan Narayan 